Alright, hello, hello, hello. What is up? It is me. I am your host. I am the host of the Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil and Vile podcast. Today, oh shit, I fucked up. My bad. Um, This is the podcast where we talked about the most fucked up, the most depraved, the most weird, the most well-known crimes known to man. And today, we will be talking about John Wayne Gacy. He was also known as the Killer Clown. This nigga, oh my god, this man... This man is a... He is a different breed. You look like he was a different breed of human, too. What the fuck is he supposed to be? This nigga's ugly as shit. Alright, well... I don't even give a fuck if that sounds immature. This nigga was a murderer and a rapist. Alright, let's, let's, let's get straight to it. John Wayne Gacy was an American serial killer and sex offender. He was known as the Killer Clown. He assaulted and murdered at least 33 young men and boys. Gacy regularly performed at children's hospitals and charitable events as Pogo the Clown or Patches the Clown. According to Gacy, he committed all of his murders inside his ranch house near Norwich, a village in Norwood Park Township that was in, that's in Chicago. Typically, he would lure a victim to his house, duping, duping him into donning handcuffs on the pretext of demonstrating a magic trick, and then he raped and tortured his victims before killing them either by asphyxiation or strangulation with a garret garrot my bad 26 victims were buried in the crawl space of his home and three others were buried elsewhere on his property four were discarded in the des plains river gacy was convicted of, of the sodomy of a teenage boy in waterloo iowa in 1968 and was sentenced to 10 years imprisonment but for some fucking bizarre reason he, he only served 18 months he murdered his first victim in 1972 and he had murdered twice more uh, by the end of 1975, and murdered at least 30 subsequent victims after his divorce from his second wife in 1976. The investigation into the disappearance of the teenager Robert P- uh, Piest, or Piest led to Gacy's arrest on December 21st, 1978. His conviction for 33 murders um, covered the most homicides in the United States in legal history, at least by one person. Gacy was sentenced to death on March 13, 1980, on death row um, at Menard Correctional Center. He spent, most of, he spent most of his time painting, but then he was executed by lethal injection at Stateville Correctional Center on May 10, 1994. Um, John Wayne Gacy was born in Chicago, Illinois on March 17, 1942. He was the second child and the only son of John Stanley Gacy and Marion. And I don't know if it's Marion or Marion. Uh, Elaine Robinson. Um, his father was an auto repair me- uh, mechanic and a World War One veteran. His mother was a homemaker. Gacy was of Polish and Danish, an- Danish ancestry, and his family was Catholic. His paternal grandparents had immigrated to the United States from Poland. Gacy was close to his mother and two sisters, but endured a difficult uh, he but he had a difficult relationship with his father. Sorry. He was an alcoholic who was physically abusive to his family. His father also belittled him, calling him dumb and stupid, comparing him unfavorably with his sisters. One of Gacy's earliest memories was of his father beating him with a leather belt for accidentally disarranging components of a car engine he had mistreated. However, Gacy still loved his father, but it felt that he was never good enough in his father's eyes. In 1949, Gacy's father was informed his son and another boy had been caught sexually fondling a young girl. His father whipped him with a stri- uh, with a razor strap as punishment. The same year, a family friend and contractor would sometimes molest Gacy in his truck. Gacy never told his father about this. He was afraid that his father would blame him. Gacy was an overweight and athletic child. He's fat ass.
ass nigga. Because of a heart condition, he was told to avoid all sports at school. During the fourth grade, Gacy began to experience blackouts. Oh, also, I better not see anybody saying that I body shame this fucking murderer. Because I know how y'all motherfuckers be on Twitter and shit. Alright, let's continue, bro. Sorry, I just had to say that shit. Alright, leaving off. During the fourth grade, Gacy began to experience blackouts. He was hospitalized on occasion because of these episodes. And in 1957, for a, for a burst appendix, Gacy later, later estimated that between the ages of 14 and 18, he had spent almost a year in the hospital and attributed the decline of his grades to missing school. His father suspected that these episodes were an effort to gain sympathy and attention and openly accused his son of faking the condition as Gacy lay in a hospital bed. What? It said he almost spent a, he spent a year in the hospital. Alright, bro. Him and his dad were dumbasses. Although his mother's sisters and a few close friends never doubted his illness, Gacy's medical condition was never conclusively diagnosed. One of Gacy's friends in high school recalled several instances when his father ridiculed or beat his son without provocation. On one occasion in 1957, he witnessed Gacy's father emerging drunk from the family basement to, be, to begin belittling then hitting his son for no apparent reason. Gacy's mother attempted to intervene as her son simply put up his hands in self-defense, according to the friend. Gacy never struck his father back during his altercations. I was going to say something mean. In 1960, at age 18, Gacy became involved in politics, working as an assistant precinct captain for a Democratic Party candidate in his neighborhood. This led to more criticism from his father, who had accused his son of being a patsy. Gacy later speculated his decision to become involved in politics actually was actually to seek accept the acceptance from others that he had never received from his father. The same year Gacy's political involvement began, his father bought him a car. He kept the vehicle's title in his own name until Gacy had finished paying for it. These monthly payments took several years for him to complete. His father was conf would confiscate the keys to the vehicle if Gacy did not do as he said. In 1962, Gacy purchased a ex an extra set of keys after his father confiscated the original set. In response, his father removed the distributor cap, keeping the component for, free day for three days. Gacy recalled he felt totally sick and drained after this incident. Hours after his father replaced the distributor cap, Gacy left home and drove to Las Vegas, Nevada. He worked within the ambulance service before he was transferred to work as an attendant at Palm at Palm Mortuary. Ah, that's probably where that's probably when he started like fucking dead shit. As a mortuary attendant, Gacy slept in a cot behind the embalming room. He worked there for three months, observing morticians embalming dead bodies. Gacy later confessed that one evening while alone, he had clambered into the coffin of a deceased teenage male, embracing and caressing the body before experiencing a sense of shock. What the hell? His prompted Gacy to call his mother the next day and ask whether his father would allow him to turn home. His father agreed, and the same day he drove back to Chicago. That nigga is weird. Upon returning home, Gacy enrolled at Northwestern Business College despite having failed to graduate from high school. He graduated in 1963 and took a management trainee position within the Nunbush Shoe Company. In 1964, the shoe company transferred him to Springfield, Illinois to work as a salesman and eventually promoted him to manager of his department. March of, in March of that year, he became engaged to Marilyn Myers, a co-worker. During the courtship, 
Gacy joined the local JCs and worked tire- tirelessly for them, being named Key Man in April 1964. That same year, he had his second. That same year, he had a second. He had his second homosexual experience. According to Gacy, after one of his colleagues in the Springfield JCs piled him with drinks, plied him with drinks, and invited him to spend the evening on a sofa, he agreed. The colleague then gave him top. Yep, the colleague proceeded to give him the sloppy while he was drunk. By 1965, Gacy had risen to the position of vice president of the Springfield JCs. In the same year, he was named the third most outstanding JC in the state of Illinois, also the third most gay. After a six-month courtship, Gacy and Myers uh, married in September 1964. His father subsequently purchased three Kentucky Fried Chicken restaurants in Waterloo, Iowa. Off-topic, but KFC is nasty. That shit is disgusting. It's soggy and ew. <laughs> um, Alright, back to the story. Sorry. His father subsequently purchased three Kentucky Fried Chicken restaurants in Waterloo, Iowa. The couple moved there so Gacy could manage the restaurants with the understanding that the, with the understanding that they would move into Marilyn's parents' former home, which had been vacated for the couple. Where the parents go? The offer was lucrative. Gacy would receive fifteen thousand per year, the equivalent about the, the equivalent about of about one hundred twenty three thousand nine hundred as of twenty twenty one. Yeah, back then. Initially. All right, plus a share of the restaurant's profits. Damn. Following the obligatory completion of a management course, AC relocated to Waterloo with his wife. Uh, sorry, hold on. I was just checking to see if it's still picking up my voice. Good, good, good. Alright, uh, where was I at? Alright, he opened a club in his basement where his employees could drink alcohol and play pool. He just, it's just a man cave. What the hell? Although Gacy employed teenagers of both sexes at, a re- at his restaurant, he only socialized with the one man. With, with, with the young man, sorry. Gacy gave many of them alcohol before he made sexual advances. Oh, Lord. Um, where is it? If they rebuffed him, he would claim his advances were simply jokes or tests of morals. Oh, he's one of those people. Gacy's wife gave birth to a son in February 1966. I'm kind of scared what he did to this son. I'm just, I don't want to see. Um, and a daughter in March 1967. Gacy later described this period of his life as perfect. He had finally earned his father's approval when Gacy's parents visited. Wait, he had finally earned his father's approval when Gacy's parents visited on July, uh, nineteen sixty-six. His father privately apologized for the physical and emotional abuse he had inflicted throughout his son's childhood and adolescence. He said, "Son, I was wrong about you," and he shook Gacy's hand. In Waterloo, Gacy joined the local JC's chapter. Regular, regularly offering extended hours to the organization, in addition to the 12 and 14 hour days he worked managing the three KFC restaurants. At meetings, Gacy often provided the fried chicken and insisted on being called Colonel. Oh, Lord. Get a load of this guy. <laughs> he and other Waterloo JCs were also deeply involved in wife swapping, prostitution, and pornography and drug use. That escalated. What the fuck? Escalate what? Although Gacy was considered ambitious, ambitious and somewhat of a braggart, the other JCs held him in high regard for his fundraising work. In 1967, named him outstanding vice president of the Waterloo JCs. In that same year, Gacy served on the board of directors. This man's life was going great. What the hell happened? Uh, all right, on to 
his, uh, now it's on to the crimes. In August 1967, Gacy sexually assaulted a 15-year-old Donald Voorhees, the son of a fellow J.C. Gacy lured Voorhees into his house upon uh, the promise of showing him heterosexual stag films regularly played at J.C. events. Gacy plied Voorhees with alcohol, allowing him to watch a stag movie. I'm assuming that's pornography. I say pornography like that. Pornography, nigga. Porn. Um, he then persuaded him to engage in mutual oral sex, adding, you have to have sex with a man before you start having sex with women. What? <laughs> Over the following months, Gacy similarly, similarly abused several other youths, one of whom he encouraged to have sex with his own wife before blackmailing him into performing oral sex on him. Gacy tricked several teenagers into believing he was commissioned to conduct homosexual experience, experience, experiments in the interest of scientific research and paid them to $50 each. Blackmailing is because you are black and you are male. I'm sorry. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. off topic, but that cowboy bebop shit was horrible. That's, that, I'm sorry. I, I just had to say that shit because that shit was nasty. That shit was disgusting. That shit stinks. That shit was a two-pack of ass. Alright, let's keep going. In March, in March 1968, Voorhees reported to his father that Gacy sexually assaulted him. Voorhees Sr. immediately informed the police, who arrested Gacy and subsequently charged him with performing oral sex on him, on a minor. Um, and, or, no, not oral sex, sorry, I read that wrong. Oral sodomy on Voorhees and the attempted assault of 16-year-old Edward Lynch. Gacy vehemently denied the charges and demanded to take a polygraph test. The results indicated Greg Gacy was nervous when he denied any wrongdoing in relation of, to both young men. Gacy publicly denied any wrongdoing and insisted the charges against him were politically motivated. Voorhees Sr. had opposed Gacy's nomination for appointment as president of the Iowa JCs. Several fellow JCs found Gacy's story credible and rallied to his support. However, May 10, 1968, Gacy was indicted on the sodomy charge. Good. Um, another crime he was uh, accused of was victim intimidation. On nineteen, on, what? <laughs> on August thirtieth, nineteen sixty-eight, Gacy persuaded one of his employees, eighteen-year-old Russell Schroeder, to physically assault Voorhees in an effort to discourage the boy from testifying against him in court. Gacy promised to pay Schroeder three hundred dollars. Yeah, no, I wouldn't have agreed to that until he paid me first. That's, you know, because if you assault that dude and he doesn't pay you, you're just going to jail. Or prison. Um, it, right here it says Schroeder agreed. And in early December, he lured Vo Voorhees to an isolated country park. He sprayed Mason in his eyes and beat him. God damn, he minked that nigga up. Like, there's a picture right there. Jesus. Voorhees escaped. And nah, I, saw, I just saw it on my phone. I just went off you. Because I looked at pictures of the dude. My friend's right here. I was just saying that shit. Um, Voorhees escaped and reported the assault to the police, identifying Schroeder as his attacker. They arrested him the following day. While initially, they arrested him the following day, sorry. While initially denying any involvement, Schroeder soon confessed to assaulting Voorhees, indicating that he had done so at Gacy's request. The police arrested Gacy and laid an additional charge of hiring Schroeder to assault and intimidate Voorhees against him. Sorry. On September 12th, Gacy was ordered to undergo a psychiatric evaluation at the psychiatric hospital. At the psychiatric, the fucking mental hospital 
of the University of Iowa. Two doctors examined him over a period of 17 days before concluding that he had an antisocial personality disorder, also known as uh, sociopathy or psychopathy, or both, probably both, and was unlikely to benefit from any therapy or medical treatment. And that is, and that and that his behavior pattern was likely to bring him into repeated conflict with society. Oh, how much battery do I have left? I can't. I have thirteen percent. I think that's enough. Um. Yeah, sorry. It's, I'm recording this on my phone, so like, and my phone was already on twenty percent when I left the house. So I just want to make sure my shit wasn't fucked up. Um. All right. The doctors concluded that he was mentally competent to stand trial. Because remember, psychopaths and sociopaths. They, they they have the distorts, but they're not stupid. They can they, they know what they're doing. Um on November seventh, uh, nineteen sixty eight, Gacy pleaded guilty to one count of sodomy in relation to Voorhees. Good. But not guilty to the charges related to other youths. Gacy claimed Voorhees had offered himself to him and that he had acted out of curiosity. The story was not believed. Yeah, obviously it's Caperoni. Caperoni, what the fuck nigga? Gacy was convicted of sodomy on September, oh, September, December 3rd and was sentenced to 10 years imprisonment to be served at the Anamosa State Penitentiary. That same day, Gacy's wife petitioned for divorce. Good. Requesting that she be rewarded with, uh, awarded the couple. My bad. Requesting that she be awarded the couple's home and property, sole custody of their two children and alimony. The court ruled in her favor. Good. And the divorce was finalized on September 18th, 1969. Gacy never saw his first wife or children again. Good, he probably would have done some fucked up shit to his children. What the hell? Um, yeah, no, I just, I just, saw, I just saw some shit weird. During his incar- during his incarceration, Gacy rapidly acquired a reputation as a model prisoner. God, within months of no, that's that's one thing psychopaths and sociopaths are good at. They're good at hiding their fucking craziness. I'm not craziness. That's 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 offensive. They're not crazy. It's just he's good. They're good at hiding their um. Their illnesses. They're good at pretending like they're normal people. Um, within months of his arrival, he had risen to the position of head cook. He also joined inmate JC chapter and increased. Oh, he he joined the inmate JC chapter and increased its membership from fifty to six hundred fifty men in less than eighteen months. Jesus, some took your revenge shit. He's known to have secured an increase. Sorry, if I seem like uh insensitive. This shit is. This is a fucked up case, bro. Um, he's known, to, he's known to have secured an increase overseeing the installation of a miniature golf course in the prison recreation yard. Yeah, because people are going to play fucking golf in prison. That's just the most, that's the most interesting thing in fucking golf, nigga. One of the most boring sports to ever, I've ever had the displeasure of watching. In June 1969, Gacy was denied parole to prepare for a second individual parole hearing in May 1970. He completed... 16 high school courses, for which he obtained his diploma in November 1969. Um, on Christmas Day, 1969, Gacy's father died from cirrhosis of the liver. Rest in piss. When told the news, Gacy collapsed to the floor, floor sobbing. His request for, for supervised compassionate leave to attend the funeral was denied. That's kind of fucked up, but like, knowing what this nigga did, fuck him. Should Gracie, Gracie? Who the fuck is that? Sorry, um, Gacy was granted parole with twelve months to, uh, with twelve months probation on June eighteenth, nineteen seventy, after having served eighteen months of his ten year sentence. Oh, that was the case where he only served eighteen months. I see. 
Conditions of his probation included that Gacy relocates to Chicago to live with his mother and that he must observe a 10 p.m. curfew. Whack. Well, not whack. It should actually, it honestly should, it honestly should have been already earlier with a nigga like that. On his release, Gacy told his friend and fellow JC Clarence Lane, who picked him up from the prison, and had remained steadfast in his, in his belief of Gacy's innocence, why? That he would never go back to jail. <laughs> and that he intended to reestablish himself in Waterloo. However, within 24 hours of his release, Gacy had relocated to Chicago. He arrived there on June 19th and shortly thereafter obtained a job as a short order cook in a restaurant. Wait, they don't do background checks? On February 12th, 1971, Gacy was charged with sexually assaulting a teenage boy again who claimed that he had lured him into a car at Chicago's Greyhound bus terminal and had driven him to his home where he had attempted to force the boy into sex. The court dismissed the complaint when the boy failed to appear. Damn. On June 22nd, Gacy was arrested and charged with aggravated, aggravated sexual battery and reckless conduct. The arrest was in response to a complaint filed by youth who claimed that G Gacy had flashed a sheriff badge, lured him, lured him into a car, and forced him to perform oral sex. He's, he just doesn't learn. He just got out. Hold on. When did he get out? Hold on. Let me check. I'm sorry. He got out in 1970. That was only a year after he got fucking... That was only a year after he got out. He's right back on his bullshit. Um, and okay, so he said that he flashed the sheriff's badge, lured him into his car, and forced him to perform oral sex. These charges were dropped after the complaint attempted to blackmail. The complainant attempted to blackmail Gacy. They just fucked up their own. That's, they fucked up their own case. That's tough. The Iowa Board of Parole did not learn of the incidents, and eight months later, in October 1971, Gacy's parole ended. The following month, records of Gacy. Gacy's previous criminal convictions were sealed. With financial assistance from his mother, Gacy bought a ranch house near the village of Norwich in Norwood Park Township, an unincorporated area of Cook County, itself a part of metropolitan Chicago. The address, uh, 8213 West Somerdale Avenue, is where he resided until his arrest in December 1978, and where, according to Gacy, that's where he committed all his murders. Oh, shit. Gacy was active in his local community and helpful towards his neighbors. Again, fake-ass nigga. He willingly loaned his construction tools and plowed snow from neighborhood walks free of charge. Oh, how much, how much charge do I have left? Oh, still on 13%. Damn. I must have put battery-saving mode or some shit on because that... Well, this is an Android. The battery's like... The battery life is long as hell. Uh... <laughs> sorry. Um... After Gacy would... Alright, there we go. In August 1971, shortly after Gacy and his mother moved into the house, he became engaged to Carol Hall, who he had briefly dated in high school. They were married on July 1st, 1972. July 1st, their marriage was a joke. Carol and her two young daughters from a previous marriage moved into Gacy's home. And soon after the couple announced their engagement, his mother moved out of the house shortly before the wedding. By 1975, Gacy had told his wife that he was bisexual, just like me for real. I'm just playing. After the couple had sex on Mother's Day that year, oh lord, he informed her that this would be the last time they would ever have sex. He began spending most evenings away from home, only to return in the early hours of the morning with the excuse that he had been working late, lying ass motherfucker. Carol observed Gacy bringing teenage boys into his garage in the early hours and also found gay porn and men's wallets and identification inside the house. When he confronted Gacy about who these items belonged to, he for 
He informed her angrily that it was none of her business. Why would you leave that there? This nigga's dumb as hell. Like, if you're going to be a serial killer, if you're going to be a weirdo, at least be a smart one. Following a heated argument when she failed to balance a checkbook correctly in, 19, in October 1975, Carol asked Gacy for a divorce. He agreed to his wife's request. To his wife's request. Although, sorry, hold on. <coughs> Damn, I need to get something to drink. Hey, RJ. Uh, hold on a second. Uh, could you give me a drink from the um thing? It's, the, uh... it's not there. The vending machine time. Oh, sure. No, yeah. oh, all right. Uh, sorry for the interruption. I just had to. I thought they had fucking drinks over there. That sucks. Yeah, all right. Um, hold on. where was I? Sorry. As for a divorce, he agreed to his wife's request. Although by mutual consent, she continued to live at the house until February 1976, when she and her daughters moved into their own apartment. One month later, on March 2nd, the Gacy's divorce, decreed upon the false grounds of Gacy's infidelity with women, was finalized. Women. Through his local membership at a moose club, Gacy became aware of a Jolly Joker clown club, whose members re uh, regularly, regularly performed at fundraising events and parades in addition to voluntarily entertaining hospi uh, hospitalized children. Um, in late 1975, Gacy joined the Clown Club and created his own clown characters, Pogo the Clown and Patches the Clown, devising his own makeup and costumes. He described Pogo as a happy clown, whereas Patches was a more serious character. And there's a picture of him right there. I'm pretty sure people saw this picture before. So, yeah, he was, um, yeah, he was actually the inspiration for, uh, Pennywise. And that's why, uh, yeah, that's probably, that's probably why you see him the most. This picture right here specifically Pogo. Y'all can't see it though, because this is pure. This is purely um, this is purely an audio podcast. Maybe I'll start recording myself like Joe Budden and them niggas. But like so far right now, I'm just gonna keep it like this. Um, all right. Gacy seldom earned money for his performance, and later said that acting as a clown allowed him to regress into childhood. He performed as both Pogo and Patches at numerous local parties, political functions, charitable events, and children's hospitals. Sometimes Gacy would remain in the clown garb after the, after a performance and, bri and briefly drank at a bar sorry, before returning home. Gacy's voluntary public service as a clown throughout the years of his murders led him to be known as the Killer Clown because he was a killer clown. Who would have thunk it? Much of PDM's workforce consisted of high school students and young men. Oh, Lord. Who Gacy would obviously proposition for sex. Or insist on sexual favors in return for acts such as lending his vehicles, financial assistance, or promotions. Or promotions. Sorry, I read that wrong. Gacy also claimed to own guns. He was telling an employee, do you know how easy it would be to get one of my guns and kill you? And how easy it would be to get rid of the body? Well, might as well tell him you're a fucking murderer, you goddamn idiot. What the hell? Might as well say I'm a fucking serial killer. In 1973, Gacy and a teenage employee traveled to Florida to view a, prop a property Gacy had purchased. On the first night in Florida, Gacy raped the employee in their hotel room. After returning to Chicago, this employee drove to Gacy's house and beat him in his yard. Mink that nigga up. Gacy told his wife that he had been attacked for refusing to pay him poor quality painting work. What the fuck you get, bitch? In May 1975, Gacy hired a 15-year-old Anthony Antonucci. Two months later, he went to Antonucci's house, knowing the youth had injured his foot in an accident the previous day. The two drank a bottle of wine and then watched 
a heterosexual stag film before Gacy wrestled Antonucci to the floor and cuffed his hand. Jesus Christ, man, keep it in your pants. Damn. He wrestled him to the ground and cuffed his hands behind his back. One cuff was loose and what? And Antonucci freed his arm while Gacy was out of the room. When Gacy returned, Antonucci, a high school wrestler, pounced upon him. He wrestled Gacy to the floor, obtained possession of the handcuffed keys, and then cuffed Gacy, Gacy's hands behind his back. At first, he threatened Antonucci and claimed, and then calmed down and promised to leave if he would remove the handcuffs. Antonucci agreed and Gacy left. Antonucci recalled that Gacy told him, not only are you the... Sorry, hold on. Not only are you the only one who got out of the cuffs, you got them on me. Yo, Gacy's been getting fucking minked up. Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, by a 15-year-old, bruh. What a bitch. What a loser. This guy's a phony. A big, fat phony. <laughs> I'm bad. I'm trying to lighten the mood, bruh. On July 26, 19, uh, 1976, Gacy picked up 18-year-old David Cram as he hitchhiked on Elston, on, this Elston, right? Elston Avenue. Gacy offered him a job with PDM, and he, he began work the same evening. On August 21st, Cram moved into his house. The next day, Cram and Gacy had several drinks to, to celebrate his 19th birthday. Birthday? Birthday. With Gacy dressed up as Pogo, Gacy conned Cam. Cram into donning it on the handcuffs, his wrist cuffed in front of his body rather than behind. He swung Cram around while holding the chain, linking the cuffs. He then said he intended to do the strange. Cram kicked Gacy in the face and freed him from the handcuffs. Bro, Gacy's getting beat the fuck up. This man sucks at his job. A month later, Gacy appeared at Cram's bedroom door, intending to, intending to do the strange. Saying, Dave, you really don't know who I am. Maybe it would be good for you to give me what I want. Basically, you like the fucking booty warrior. I like shit, and I want shit. You can do this the easy way or the hard way. No, that was a real person. Uh, his name was like Slick, Silk Johnson or some shit. Like, he was actually like a real person. I should probably do one on him too, but there's probably not that much on him. The only things we really know about him is that he raped dudes in jail. That's really it. That would be a good episode if, there's more, um, if there was more uh, information about him though. Um, Cram resisted, obviously, straddling Gacy, who left the bedroom, stating, you ain't no fun. Cram moved out on October 5th and left PDM, although he did periodically work for, with Gacy over the next two, uh, next two years. Why would you want to work with that nigga? Shortly after Cram moved out of Gacy's house, another employee, 18-year-old Michael Rosie, moved in. Rosie, or Rossi, Rossi had worked for PDM since May 1976. He lived with Gacy until April 1977. Rossi sometimes assisted Gacy in clowning at grand uh, opening business. Gacy has Pogo and Rossi has Patches. People were just coming to him, man. He was like a fucking... It was like a... It was like a... I don't know how to say it. Like a conveyor belt of like victims just pulling up. It's crazy. Like one after the other. It's fucking insane. Gacy murdered at least 33 young men and boys and buried 26 of them in the crawl space of his house like a dumbass. His victims included people he knew and random individuals lured from Chicago, from the Chicago Great House bus station, known as Bug House Square, or simply off the streets. With Or no, not known as Bug House Square. He got them from the bus station, Bug House Square, and off the streets with the promise of a job with BDM. An offer, or an offer, drink with drinking drugs, 
or money or for sex. You know, all those, all, all the usual. Some victims were grabbed by force. Others were conned into believing Gacy was a policeman. Gacy usually lured a lone victim to his house. Although, on more than one occasion, Gacy also had what he called doubles. Two victims killed in the same evening. My God. His KD is cracked. That was a, that, that was in poor taste. But I, I thought it was funny. Fuck you. Um, <laughs> um, inside Gacy's home, his usual modus operandi was to ply... Was to ply a youth with drinks, drugs, or generally just gain their trust. He would then produce a pair of handcuffs to show, to quote unquote, show a magic trick. Sometimes, as part of a clowning routine, he typically cuffed his own hands behind his back, then, uh, then surreptitiously, then released himself with the keys which he had hid between his fingers. He then offered to show his intended victim how to release himself from the handcuffs. His victim, manacled and unable to free himself. Casey then made a statement to the effect that the trick is you have the key. Is you have to have the key. I mean, let me reread that shit. Um, he usually made a statement that was like, that basically went like, the trick is you have to have the key. Casey referred to this act of restraining his victims as the handcuff trick. So creative. The fuck? Um, having restrained his victims, Casey proceeded to rape and torture his, and torture his cat. Captives. He frequently began by sitting or straddling himself above the victim's chest before forcing the the victim to fillet him or give him head. Gacy then inflicted acts of torture, including burning with cigars, making his captive imitate a horse as he sat on their back and pulled upon makeshift reins around their neck in violation with foreign objects such as um, fifis and prescription bottles. I couldn't say dildos. There were, like, people over here. No, I said, no, fuck it. He, he, he raped them with dildos and, and prescription bottles after he sodomized his captive. To immobilize the captive's legs before engaging in acts of torture, Gacy frequently manacled their legs into a two-by-four with handcuffs attached to each end, an act inspired by the Houston mass murders. That sounds interesting. I might do, I might do one on that. He is also known to have verbally taunted many of his victims throughout their continued abuse and to have dragged or forced several victims to crawl in his bathroom, where he partly drowned them in the bathtub before repeatedly reviving them, enabling him to continue his prolonged assault. In instances when a victim had pleaded to be killed, Casey would make a statement to the effect that he was killed, yeah, that he would kill his victim when he wanted to. Casey typically murdered his victims by placing a rope tourniquet around their neck before progressively tightening the rope with a hammer handle. He referred, he referred to this act as the rope trick. So creative, bro. Best names in the world. Frequently informing his captive, this is the last trick, Spider-Man. And one, in at least one instance, he had read part of Psalm 23 as he tightened the rope around his victim's neck. Uh, I'd rather die before hear a fucking Bible scripture before I die. The fuck is this, a funeral? Wait, wait, no, at a funeral, you're already dead. Never mind, I'm retarded now. Um, occasionally, the victims had convulsed for about an hour or two before dying. Although several victims died by asphyxiation from the cloth gag stuffed up, stuffed deep into the throat, except for his two final victims, all were murdered between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. After death, Gacy usually stored victims' bodies under his bed for up to 24 hours before burying his victims within the crawl space, instead of bringing them to a place where he couldn't be linked to, like a dumbass. Um, hold on, where am I at? 
where he periodically poured quicklime to hasten the decomposition of his victims. Some victims' bodies were taken to his garage and embalmed prior to their burial. Because remember, he worked at a, um, a mortuary and watched people embalm corpses. Um, so, here is the murder of Timothy. This is his first murder. His first known murder, at least. It happened on January 3rd, 1972, according to Gacy's later account, following a family party on the event of the, on the evening of January 2nd. He decided to drive to the Civic Center in the loop to display to a display of ice sculptures in the early hours of the following morning. He then lured a 16-year-old named Timothy Jack McCoy from Chicago's Greyhound bus terminal into his car. McCoy was traveling from Michigan to Omaha. They gazed to McCoy sightseeing and then drove into his home. The promise that he could spend the night and be driven back to the station time to catch his bus. Prior to McCoy's identification, he was known simply as the Greyhound bus boy. Um... Gacy claimed he woke up early in the morning to find McCoy standing in his bedroom door with a kitchen knife in his hand. He jumped from his bed and raised both arms in a gesture of surrender, tilting the knife upward, accidentally cutting Gacy's forearm. Gacy twisted the knife from McCoy's wrist, banged his head against the bedroom wall, kicked him against his wardrobe, and, and walked towards him. McCoy then kicked Gacy in the stomach, doubling him over. Gacy then grabbed McCoy, shouting, Motherfucker, I'll kill you, nigger. The dude was white. I don't know why I said that. And then wrestled McCoy to the floor and stabbed him repeatedly in the chest as he straddled him. Bro, he fucking minked the shit out this man. My God, he Batman that nigga. He like kicked him in the... What the fuck? As McCoy lay dying, he claimed he washed the knife in his bathroom. He then went to his kitchen and saw an open cart of eggs and a slab of unsliced bacon on his kitchen table. McCoy had also set the table for two. <gasps> oh, no. He had walked into Gacy's room to wake him while absent-mindedly carrying the kitchen knife in his hand. He was trying to make dinner for you, you bitch-ass nigga. That's fucked up, bro. So, um, then, shit, I lost it. Balls. Okay, there we go. In an interview several years after his arrest, Gacy said that immediately after killing McCoy, he felt totally drained, and yet noted that he, as he stabbed McCoy, and as he listened to the gurgle, to the gurgles and gasping for air that he had experienced, a mind-numbing orgasm. That's when he said he's, and he added, "That's when I realized death was the ultimate thrill." And I only have like nine minutes left, so I'm gonna have to uh, go to some other parts. Um. All right, so here we go. Let's talk about the search for his victims. To assist officers in a search for the victims beneath, buried beneath his house during a confession, confessions, Gacy drew a rough diagram of his basement on a phone message sheet to indicate where the bodies were buried. Twenty-six bodies were unearthed from Gacy's crawl space over the next three uh, next week. Three more were also unearthed somewhere else on this property. The body of oh hold on sorry um there was an unidentified body I think it was known as body one John Budkovich which I had to skip was labeled as body two and there were also a hell of other bodies and um 
Hold on, I apologize. I'm just gonna try to find a part where I can like actually. Okay. In the sentencing phase. All right, here we go. Um, all right, this is him. This is him on death row. Sorry, I had to skip a lot, but I only have like eight minutes left. So, because I'm in the library right now, so I really only have this much time. On being sentenced, Gacy was transferred to the Manor Correctional Center, where he remained incarcerated on death row for 14 years. No, death row has to be the scariest shit ever, because they don't tell you when you're about to die. They're just like you sitting there just waiting, my nigga. So they pull you out, and you're just like, ah, shit, here we go again. Again? What? Um, before his trial, Gacy initiated contact with WLS-TV journalist Russ Ewig, to whom he granted numerous interviews between 1979 and 1981. 1981. Ewing, or Ewing, later collaborated with author Tim Cahill, or Cahill, to publish the book Buried Dreams. Later, the information Gacy divulged to Ewing would provide instrumental in establishing the identity, the identity of his first victim. On January 15, 1983, Harry Brisbane, a fellow death row inmate known as the I-57 killer, stabbed Gacy in the upper arm with a sharpened wire as Gacy was participating in a voluntary work program. A second death row inmate injured in the attack, William Jones, received a superficial stab wound to the head. Both received treatment in the prison hospital for their wounds. After his incarceration, Gacy read numerous law books and filed uh, voluminous motions and appeals, though he did not prevail in any of them. Of course not. What the fuck? Why would he even try that? His appeals related to issues such as the validity of the first search warrant and his objection to his lawyer's insanity plea. Gacy also said that although he has some knowledge of five of the murders, the other 28 murders had been committed by employees who had keys to his house while away on business trips. Because that's the most... Niggas are going to believe that, right? The fuck? Dumbass. Um, in mid-1984, the Supreme Court of Illinois upheld Gacy, Gacy's conviction, conviction and ordered his execution by lethal injection on November 14th. Gacy filed an appeal against this decision, which was denied by the, by, which was denied by the Supreme Court of the United States on March 4th, 1985. The following year, Gacy filed a further post-conviction. They're not letting you out, Monica. <laughs> like, they're just not... Um, he again tried to appeal, appeal the decision that he that he be executed. The Illinois Supreme Court upheld his conviction and setting a new execution date to January 11th. They moved that shit up. That's tough. They wanted you to shut the fuck up. Um, but then, after the U.S. court denied Gacy's final appeal in 93, the Supreme Court set formally set an execution date for May 10th. On the morning of May 9th, 1994, Gacy was transferred from the Maynard Correctional Center to the Stateville, to the Stateville, Stateville Correctional Center in Crest Hill to be executed. That afternoon, he was allowed a private picnic on the prison grounds with his family. For his last meal, Gacy ordered a bucket of KFC. He wanted to die with KFC? Oh, Jesus, that's how you know that nigga was crazy. A dozen fried shrimp, french fries, fresh strawberries, and a Diet Coke. And a Diet Coke, bro, this nigga was a weirdo. I mean, obviously, but KFC, nigga, I can understand the fried shrimp. That shit is delicious. That evening, he observed prayer with the Catholic priest before being escorted to the state vote execution chamber to receive lethal injection. Um. Okay, here we go. Before the execution began, the chemicals used to affect 
the execution solidified unexpectedly, clogging the IV tube to administer the chemicals into Gacy's arm. Complicating the procedure, blinds covering the window through which witnesses observed the execution were drawn. The execution team placed the clogged tube after 10 minutes. The, blind were, the blinds were reopened and the execution resumed. The entire procedure took 18 minutes. Anesthesiologists blamed the problem on the prison officials' inexperience at conducting an execution, saying that, uh, sorry, I was checking if we were still recording. All right, we are. Okay, here we go. All right, experience saying that the, had a correct execution procedures have been followed, the complications would never have occurred, which is probably true, I don't know. This error apparently led to Illinois adopting an alternative method of lethal injection. Or just shoot that nigga with like fentanyl until his veins. That that'll definitely kill him. One prosecutor at Gacy's trial, William Kunkel. What are these last names? Kunkel? The fuck is a Kunkel? He got a much e- he says uh the prosecutor said that he got a much easier death than any of his victims. Which is true. That's what I'm saying. They should have gave him the chair. Um, according to published reports, Gacy was a diagnosed psychopath who did not express any remorse for his crimes. His final statement to his lawyer before his execution, that killing him would not compensate for the loss of others, that the state was murdering him. Nigga, fuck you. His final spoken words were reported to be, kiss my ass. Oh, 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 shiver me timbers. Shut up. Nigga, you're dead. In the hours leading up to Gacy's execution, a crowd estimated at over 1,000 gathered outside the correctional center. A vocal majority were in favor of the execution, although a number of anti-death penalty dumbasses were also present. Some others, some of those in favor of the executions, wore t-shirts hearkening to Gacy's previous community servants, services as a, as a clown in Bering No tears for the clown. Sorry, my bad. And in the shirts had a satirical slogan like uh, such as no no tears for the clown the anti death penalty pro- uh, protesters present observe present observed a silent candlelight vi- vigil after Gacy's death was was confirmed at 12:58 p.m. on May 10th his brain was removed it is in the possession of Helen Morrison a witness for the defense at Gacy's trial who has interviewed Gacy and other serial killers in an attempt to isolate common personality traits of violent psychopaths why would you want to keep his brain? What the hell? Um, rest in pee, nigga. Goodbye and good riddance. Weird ass nigga. Only 28 of uh, Gacy's victims were conclusively uh, identified. One of the youngest was Samuel St- Stapleton and Michael Marino, both 14. The oldest were Francis Alexander and Russell Nelson, both 21. Five victims. Five victims had never been confirmed. The first victims were to be identified were John Butkovich, uh, John's, uh, John's, I don't know, some Russian shit or something. I think it's John Zick, psych, and Gregory, Gregory, Gregory Godzik. Dental records confirmed their identities on December 29th. The 33rd victim linked to Gacy, James uh, Mazzara, was identified the following day. Four further victims were identified on January 6th. Body 18 was uh, was identified as Michael Bonin, Bonin and Robert Gilroy. And body 25 was Robert Gilroy. Right, right. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's a list of all the victims. And that was, uh, that was the story of, um, 
John Wayne Gacy. That man, that's probably one of the worst stories. Either that one or Sylvia Likett's story, which y'all should go check out. Y'all can't see me. I don't know what I just did. I don't know why I did that. But, um, yeah, that was John Wayne Gacy. You know, my thoughts on this whole lethal, um, on this whole um, execution thing, on one hand, I think that, yeah, those niggas deserve to die for it, but they also deserve to suffer for it in prison. And that they need to serve the time. And that they need to suffer for it for life in prison. Because death is, sometimes it's just an easier way out. But, also, like, nigga, fuck you. You know? <laughs> okay, so, that was this episode of the Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile podcast. Um, oh, I also wanted to mention, my schedule for this podcast is, is going to be Monday through Thursday. I want to have the weekends to myself. Fuck y'all on those weekends. But uh, other days, I love y'all, though. Um, um, but, uh, yeah, that was this episode. Make sure y'all support me on Patreon. The, the, the Patreon page is, is, is uh, Extremely Wicked Podcast. Make sure y'all donate to me on Cash App. Peace God 9999. What I really need, I really need a, um, all I really need is a microphone. Because right now I'm just using a fucking earbud. I mean, it works fine though. But like, I really need a uh, a laptop and a microphone. That's really it. That's all I need. And basically, y'all still be set. That's really all I need. Y'all don't gotta donate to me though. I'm fine like this though. This is this is a good setup. So, all right. So um, um, so yeah. This is this has been this episode of the podcast. And uh, I'll see you on the next episode, which is gonna, which is going to be about EDP four four five. This episode was originally supposed to be about R Kelly, but then I changed my mind and decided to do um, EDP. But then I couldn't find the correct um, I couldn't find the actual chat logs today, so I'll probably try to find the, ch- uh, the chat logs and then I'll do that episode. But no, for now, I decided, you know, I'm just going to keep, I was going to keep going with the serial killer shit, with the murder and all that shit. And, uh, yeah, John Wayne Gacy is a pretty famous murderer, bro. So, yeah, I'll see y'all in the next one. I love y'all. Be good humans.